internet, uh, social media, uh, have empowered the patient, patients enormously, not just the liver, enormously. And um, 10, 15, 20 years ago, I would not have thought of that. So welcome to this episode of the Rhinoplasty Podcast with me, Dr. Cameron McIntosh. It is so exciting to have a second talk with Bauman Gairon, all, all the way from the States. Um, Bauman, last week we had a fantastic talk, and, and it, even straight away going into um, analyzing the face again this week was fantastic for me. So thank you again for the great talk you gave us, and welcome to today's episode. Thank you, Cam. It's good to see you and uh, spending time with you. So I have a question for you before we climb into today's topic. Um, very often at Congresses, um, it's spoken about the patient that you should not operate on. Their red lights are flashing. Don't operate. But I had a case in the week where I didn't want to operate. Now the question is, how do you break the bad news to the patient? It really depends on what, what I feel is the problem. If I feel that a patient has body dysmorphic uh, disorder, is the, the patient who's depressed, uh, I don't tell them that I, I, I'm not going to operate on you. I, I tell, what I tell them is, you know what, I see something that is uh, dis, uh, concerning to me uh, in, in our discussion. And what I would like you to do is if you want me to operate on you, I need you to see uh, a so-and-so friend of mine, or I, I need to see somebody who understands uh, the emotions a little bit more, more than I do. And after that person gives us okay, then I'll be happy to operate on you. And uh, one or two things are going to be happening. Either that patient is going to go along with it and go see a psychiatrist, a psychologist, would be helped to help to the patient, or the patient is going to say, no, I, I, I don't need a psychiatrist. Then I'm, I'm, I'm off the hook if that's that. But my, my concern is that I'm a physician. So much as when I detect a cardiac problem, I send the patient to a cardiologist. Don't tell them that I'm not going to operate on you, period. This is the same situation. It's a medical condition. It's a psychiatric problem, and uh, uh, I, I, uh, I'm not going to tell the patient go home or go see somebody else. I'm going, and what's going to be happening? They're not going to get care. Somebody uh, less experienced is going to operate, and both of them are going to be miserable. So this is a deal that I make with the patient. There's actually a good number of patients go along with it and go see a psychiatrist, and I get a call from the psychiatrist, okay, this patient is ready to, to be operated on. The second category is the pa patients who, who I think they are unrealistic, and there's no way that I'm going to be able to help the patient. And I just had one, even this afternoon. So unfortunately, it's not common, but it is there. It is a reality. So after talking to the patients for a while, I knew that we were not on the same page. I, but the way I describe to the patient is that, you know what, I'm a surgeon. This is what I do for a living. And if I tell you today that uh, 
I, you and I are not on the same page, and I'm not comfortable operating on you and not making you happy. You have to believe that it, it is the reality, because otherwise, uh, this is what, uh, the source of my revenues. And if I'm not operating on you, it means that I'm thinking more about you than myself. And uh, I, I suggest that you see somebody else. And that usually registers with the patient, and often they will thank you for being honest. And that ends the problem. Those are the two different ways that I handled the patients, which I don't think they are ready for surgery for one or two, one reason or the other. Okay, so that's fantastic. Now, the the one question I have adding to this is: this in my specific situation, uh, the patient demanded to be paid back the consulting fee. So it's an hour, 40 minutes of my time and all the morphing and the photographs and the examination, everything. And now, because I don't want to carry on with the surgery, they say, oh, but then I must be paying back the consulting fee. And I don't feel that's correct. What what are your thoughts around that? Uh, I used to feel the way you do, and uh, I still do. But I think it is just far better to give that patient whatever uh, consultation is. Say, okay, if that that's going to make you happy, fine. Take the money. Uh, we'll give, give we'll return your money to you. Uh, your, your, the fee that you have paid for consultation, and let the patient go. Otherwise, that patient is going to uh, go on the internet and write negative review reviews about you. Uh, that he charged me, he didn't operate on me. Uh, you and I are our revenues are not dependent on the consultation. And if a patient is going to leave the office and leave us alone uh, by just getting. Whatever uh, uh, the charges are really meager compared to the surgery fee. So as long as the patient, is, I say, you know what, I, this is not fair, but I'm going to do it because if that's going to be making you happy, that's fine. Uh, I do, and that that has happened in my practice also, and so I, I do it. Uh, I just, uh, you know what, it is far better than having the hassle of dealing with that patient in the internet and anywhere else. And we just have to, uh, unfortunately, we know that internet, uh, social media uh, have empowered the patient, patients enormously, not just the live enormously. And um, 10, 15, 20 years ago, I would not have thought of that. But I, today, I, I just want to have a peace and move on. Yeah. And I do it. Okay, well, thank you. That's great. Thank you so much. Okay, so tonight's topic is advanced rhinoplasty. Um, You've got a great slideshow lined up for us. So I'll just remind you that because there'll be a lot of listeners and people who can't necessarily watch it through the YouTube channel to when you talk, try and explain it as if you're just having a cup of coffee with somebody. So, yeah, you can carry on sharing your screen and go to the next slide. Thank you very much. All right. So... Again, these, these are my uh, disclosures in case you, there are CME-related uh, uh, credits, uh, and I receive royalties for these four uh, active books. There are rhinoplasty conditions that makes, they make rhinoplasty that in general is the most difficult procedure we do in plastic surgery even more complex 
even more demanding. And what I'd like to do is take some of these uh, conditions and dissect them a little bit, discuss with you as what is that I do uh, for these patients. One of them is lengthening the short nose. I did struggle with this entity for a while, and uh, I, I, what I do today is very different from what I did 30 years ago. And for the last, uh, I would say, 25, 30 years, uh, I've been doing what, I, what I'm going to be discussing with you, uh, which is a technique that I developed, and we call this tongue and groove technique. Uh, going back to 2003, I published an article in the, uh, in the, uh, uh, in the PRS, uh, Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery, uh, and uh, I, I know that many of my colleagues use the technique today uh, as an extension, uh, uh, extended spreadograph is the same, same uh, technique. So, uh, and this elongation of the nose is going to depend on whether the septum is present or the septum is absent. And there are uh, cases that we deal with like, like cocaine nose where there's, there's not much of septum or patient post-traumatic patients that have totally collapsed noses. Now we'll deal with it. We'll talk about uh, these te techniques in a minute. I did use extension graphs. I did use interposition graphs. I did even use composite graphs. None gave me the uh, consistency in uh, the outcome that uh, I demand of myself. And uh, I, I saw asymmetries. Uh, I had difficulty in maintaining the alignment of the collimella with the uh, rest of the uh, dorsum. And um, some created really, really very rigid nose and uh, or caused mid-collimella protrusion without moving the entire collimella caudally to elongate the nose and or techniques that actually widen the uh, collimella more, more significantly than is optimal. So uh, in order to uh, remedy the situation, I came up with this bilateral extended spreadograph that again, we called it tongue and groove technique, as long as again, the septum was present. Now, the cartilage that we use, most of the time, when this, even if the septum is present, may, could not, may, if the patient has had previous surgery, as long as I have that L-strut, I'm okay. But if the septum is completely intact, my source of cartilage is going to be the septum. And I'm going to use an open technique, remove uh, the hump, if there is a hump, uh, complete the septoplasty, if I'm doing the septoplasty, complete the osteotomy if uh, it is needed. Then, then I'm going to start this technique of nose elongation after I complete the osteotomies. Uh, and the way it works, I'm going to take a long 
spreadograph that extends from underneath the nasal bone, past the caudal antecaudal septum, proportional to the elongation necessary. What I mean by that, if the patient needs four or five millimeters uh, elongation, I'm going to extend the spreadograph beyond the antrocardial septum four to five millimeters on one side and the other side. I think this is a key, uh, using bilateral key, uh, uh, bilateral spreadograph is a key to the stability. So Matt, then now I'm going ask to you a question. Why are you, are you extending the spreader cephalically under the nasal bones? Do you always do that with your spreader grafts? Well, it, it, again, it's part of the, uh, part of the, uh, first of all, that extension is only the beveled portion, as you see here, the beveled portion of the cartilage. It's not really a lot, but I want to make sure that I've engaged the uh, uh, cartilage partially with the bone so that after it heals uh, uh, to the septum and the adjacent bone is not likely to uh, give in after the sutures are dissolved, have dissolved. And for these sutures, I use 5-0 PDS and use one, two, sometimes three mattress sutures. Now, I, I, I'm not keen on doing a lot, using a lot of sutures. And when I open some sec, uh, secondary noses uh, for a correction, I see in, uh, an enormous number of uh, uh, sutures, non-absorbable non sutures, and they're not really necessary. They're not necessary. We have to use targeted number of sutures, exact number of sutures. The next, as soon as I finish that, then I'm going to prepare this <clears throat> conimella strap, which is shaped specifically to accomplish my uh, goals, my objectives. And it has a portion that will be encased between the spreadographs. I commonly use a, ma a figure of a suture here so that this end also is stabilized, doesn't move around. Then it has a portion that extends anteriorly and wide enough to accommodate the width of the medial cura because I'm going to bring the medial cura and suture them to this graft. And you can also see that the end of the graft is going to be short of the domes so that over the period of years, uh, this is not going to be a visible portion. And uh, then suture the medial cura to this Kalimala strut. And uh, the, um, invariably when I do this, uh, it moves the nose caudally, but the inner rims may stay a little bit behind. And in order to correct that, I'm going to use an LR rim grafts on LR rim graft on either side. And to do this operation successfully, we need to make sure that all of the scar tissues have been released and the soft tissues are free. 
uh, and the scar tissues of Rissa, and the, all of the frame is free to be moved. Otherwise, if it is tethered and it puts undue pressure on the cartilage, uh, you may you may see a little, a little bit of relapse. And I, I don't let that happen because I make sure that the extension is uh, enough uh, on the soft tissues. And then put a temporary suture in the columella. Make sure that it is not going to be too tight. If I feel that no matter what I do, the skin is going to be too tight, I may set back my goals minimally until I feel that, that there's no tension in the repair. The most difficult problem that we deal with in anionoplasty sometimes is necrosis in the columella. There is a way to go fix that, but uh, we want to avoid it. And the avoidance is going to come from not putting undue tension on the uh, skin. Now, occasionally, we do see a little bit of blanching of the tip after you put the suture in the columella. But, and that doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be necrosis because you remember, we have injected the nose, we have vasoconstriction, uh, and most of the time the uh, circulation of the skin in the, in the super tip area, super tip area, is robust enough to tolerate some pressure. But if I have a, and, uh, and I use 60 plane or 60 monocrop first to repair the approximate uh, columella, but if my sutures are breaking and I can't repair the incision comfortably. I'm putting too much undue pressure on the columella and on the, on the skin. And uh, that is going to be a prescription for failure. Uh, so we need to avoid that. And I'm going to share some patients with, uh, cases with you. Here's a patient on whom I did a number of other things. Uh, besides using the extender, extended spreadograph. This is a five-year follow-up on this particular patient. And you can see uh, the change in the nasolabial angle, uh, which uh, essentially has, uh, it has been optimized uh, by elongate, elongation of this nose. Uh, and the other view, uh, quarter view, quarter view, basilar view. Here's a patient... Uh, with uh, initial 12-year follow-up, and actually I've followed up this patient for a long time. I hope that I, I have included the long-term follow-up. Again, hallmark of the noses that used to be done in the 80s. This was a vogue, and uh, you can see the change in the nasolabial angle, and even in the, column, in the LR rim that has followed the elongation of the nose, and additional views. This is a 30-year follow-up on this particular patient. And you can see our uh, the stability of uh, the, this nose over decades. Uh, now, if the septum is missing, our so, so mission the, is going to be different. Okay, so can I jump in here now? If you're using yes. a similar technique, on what uh, we in South Africa would call a black nose, but probably an African-American nose, to, to lengthen that as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. This technique can be applied to, and in fact, it is much more successful on African-American. I've used them. I've used it. And the reason is their soft tissue is not scarred. I'm aware of this topic about talking about primary rhinoplasty. The soft tissues are much more uh, favorable uh, and conducive for elongation without worrying too much about the uh, too much about the uh, necrosis of the carimella skin. And what do you then use for dorsal augmentation? I'm sorry, what was that? What do you use for dorsal, what techniques do you use for dorsal augmentation in the African-American nose? Uh, I'm going to actually talk about that right now. I, do. I, okay, I probably right. use, if there's enough septal cartilage, which unfortunately and African-Americans, uh, the septal cartilage is smaller than uh, Asian, uh, uh, smaller than uh, uh, Middle Eastern noses. So I'm, I'm, uh, I may use, uh, if I need a dorsal augmentation, uh, as long as I have enough septum to elongate the and, and nose. And if on and some patients, I, I, if they, there is no reason to worry about a, an inverted V deformity, you don't have to always extend the uh, spreadograph underneath the nasal bones. So I may use even a shorter version as long as it is uh, the spreadograph, as long as it is sutured uh, uh, securely to the septum. Uh, it, it is likely to work. Uh, so I may use smaller spreadographs on, on those patients and use some of the septal cartilage uh, for dorsal augmentation. But if not, if there's not enough to, uh, cartilage uh, 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 for the dorsal augmentation, uh, using septal cartilage, I can use uh, most likely a rib cartilage, knowing that I may be taking a chance uh, in terms of a keloid formation on African uh, African noses, Af African Americans, South African noses. Uh, so, but uh, that that would be an option, uh, or ear cartilage uh, if uh, the dorsal uh, uh, deficiency is minor. Now, if uh, I'm doing the nose elongation on somebody who doesn't have enough septum, I'm going to use a rib cartilage. As you can see, it is uh, designed in a keel shape, wider cephalically, uh, actually uh, wider cephalically than caudally, but overall wider in the center and um, upper two-thirds compared to the low, low two-thirds, beveled margins all around. As you can see, it is beveled cephalically, it is beveled caudally, and there's a notch at the bottom uh, to it be engaged with the strut. that as you see, this is all rib cartilage, even the strut is a rib cartilage. And then I'm going to use the same technique of approximation of the medial crura to the columella uh, uh, and uh, uh, as you can see on this patient we have a twisted nose but and sh for shortened nose but what we see here is a previous cartilage graft that is warped so 
What we're going to be doing is removing this on, through an open technique. And this is what it looked like when I removed it. And you can see the magnitude of deficiency uh, on the front view profile. This is the profile of the patient with the graft in position. And this is after the graft is removed, you can see the deficiency is far more significant. Uh, so we're going to fill that in with a graft that you just saw to give him this kind of elongated, straighter nose. Now, this is a nose that it is scarred over the decades. I'm not going to, in fact, I elongate this nose a little bit more, but I set back my goals. Uh, I gave in and shortened it slightly because I was worried about the Kalimala incision. But as you will see in a minute, the Kalimala healed properly. And this is the nose after it is healed. Uh, yeah, I don't, I won't show any noses. Uh, uh, before uh, at least a year following rhinoplasty. On this, I'm talking a specific thing short after the surgery. Here is uh, uh, the patient's uh, basal view. And, uh, or the same principle can be used on the patients who have cocaine noses for elongation. It will seem uh, more of these. Uh, later when we talk about the deviated noses. Uh, any questions, Cam, uh, no, about uh, the nose elongation? No, I understand that. I use a lot of those techniques myself. I just um, embarrassingly wasn't okay. aware that you'd published it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The second uh, topic that I want to talk about is the over-projected nose. And... I, it is important to understand that overprojection can be in different parts of the nose, and our technique is going to be varied depending on what we're dealing with. The overprojection could be cephalat, meaning fullness in the radix, mid-vault, caudal, and or combination. So, reduction of the cephalic portion overprojection is going to be done with this device that I introduced going back to early 1980s, and it comes from my craniofacial background. And it is inserted in position. It is the first use of power tools. Uh, obviously, we use PZO today. Uh, even with the presence of PZO, I do use this device for lowering, the deepening the radix. And all we need to do is just Move it side by side, side to side, matter of two seconds, not more than that, because it can create heat and it can cause formation of uh, seroma if uh, the soft tissues are burned. Deduction of the mid vault essentially is about removing the hump, and we all know how to do that. Deduction of the caudal nose is something that I want to focus on. And this is where we have an overprojection of the uh, lower ladder cartilages. What we need to understand that when we do a rhinoplasty, there are certain maneuvers that are going to reduce the tip projection, no matter what we do, whether it was our intention or not. And those include 
removal of cephalic margin of the lower lateral cartilages on patients who have certain configuration, and it doesn't happen on every nose. It happens on, patient, on patients who have a cephalic orientation of the low lateral cartilages, and the highest portion of the dome uh, is above the area what we want to see. The minute we remove that harm, we're going to see reduction in tip projection. We also see reduction in tip projection if we reduce the nasal spine. What we essentially we are doing is reducing the platform with, upon, upon which uh, the foot plates are sitting. Reduction of the tip projection is going to happen when we reduce the dorsum caudally. Many of these noses are ostensibly overprojected. The minute we remove the hump, we're going to uh, lose a significant amount of tip projection. In a way that on this patient, I had to use combination of column and tip graft to maintain the projection that I wanted. So we need, this is a trap. We need to be very careful about it. And the way we can detect or avoid this trap, as, as the patient is smart, and if the tip ends up being below the antrocardial septum, that is the nose that uh, we're going to lose a significant amount of tip projection upon removal of the caudal hump. In a way that most of the time, combination of these techniques are going to result in two or three millimeters reduction in the tip projection. So often when we have a tip over over projected tip, it is favorable. It means that we may not need the collimellostar, we may not need a tip graft, and we just need to see what happens with the other maneuvers. But, uh, and here's a patient of mine, I hope you agree that we have an over-projected tip, and look what's going to be happening with combination of open technique, removal of cephalic portion of low lateral cartilages, dorsal harm, uh, osteotomy doesn't change the tip projection, nasal spine resection. I'm, I, this is a, an 11-year follow-up, and you can see how much tip projection I lost. And I'm going to show you an evident and undeniable evidence for this loss of uh, projection, quarter view. Look at the basal view difference. How much? And this is what happens as we reduce the tip projection in any means, we're going to have widening of the nostrils. This is merely consequence of maneuvers that I showed you. You can see how much uh, projection I lost. Obviously, uh, today I would have used uh, an LR rim graft on this patient, <clears throat> but this is the dynamic uh, changes that we need to be aware of. Here's another over-projected nose that uh, I did, operated on uh, in Italy, and Enrico Robotti was kind enough to send her pictures a year later to me, and I did also a genioplasty on this patient, and that's very important. Part of the reason that this nose looks over-projected is because this patient has a receding chin, and uh, 
combination of techniques is going to help me to create better balance for this nose, this profile, without having to overly uh, reduce the tip rejection. Here's a patient a year later, and we're going to see uh, uh, the corridor view, and you can see the improvement of the chin on the profile, and creation of a better balance to, to the nose postoperatively. Actually, this picture is a little bit larger than mine. That's why it looks like it's over-projected. But uh, ne nevertheless, uh, the projection was not, was maintained uh, or actually reduced to some degree uh, just through the maneuvers that did not include reducing the tip projection. What if we need to do tip projection? We're going to adhere to the Anderson's tripod concept. What do I mean by that? Anderson described this and um, uh, drew a parallel between a tripod and uh, the lower lateral cartilages and medial cura, whereby the lateral cura constitute the lateral portion of that tripod and combination of the two medial cura constitute the medial limb. Uh, so depending on the length of the nose, our technique is going to change. If we have an over-projected short nose, we're going to overlap the medial crura, over-projected short nose, medial crura, uh, overlap. Actually, that's not, that's not okay. And here's an example of such a patient who had over-projected over -projected short nose. You can see by uh, reduced overlapping the medial crura, this tip is rotated caudally slightly, just as much as it needed to have this uh, more natural configuration compared to this. And you can see we talked about this uh, last time. This patient had open lips before surgery, and the lips are closed after surgery. Here's a quarter view, basal view. So that is the nose that is over-projected short. We're going to overlap the medial cura and suture them. If the patient, the nose is long and over-projected, the technique is going to be different. On this one, we're going to overlap the lateral cura. And anytime I, I interrupt the uh, lower, lower lat, uh, lateral, laterals medially or laterally, I use a graft, cartilage graft under it. Under this cartilage graft is going to be uh, Gunter's lateral cura strut. Uh, under this uh, this graft, if um, you're, you're reducing the medial, overlapping the middle, will be a columella strut to create more predictability and uh, 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 more stability. So, so a, a question there, if, uh, if you're going to shorten the lateral cura and put a graft in, you are completely dissecting them free first, and then you're taking maybe one or two or three millimeters, and then you're putting them end on end together and then putting a graft underneath. 
Yeah, really good question. Uh, not necessarily. Uh, let me just run this again. What I do is I undermine this area about uh, the, uh, to the degree that I'm going to be overlapping. Obviously, if I'm going to use the lateral cruise strut, I'm I'm also separating the lining on the uh, nasal in, in, intranasal side, internal lining. I'm separating. But, but not all, not necessarily on the outside portion, but getting back to your question, most of the time, that's what I'm doing. Most of the time, the lower ladder cartilage is separated completely from the underlying and overlying soft tissues. I overlap this, then put the uh, contours ladder cholesterol under it and suture it in place. That way, I, I have corrected many issues and uh, the convexity is gone, and I have created a stability to the external and to a degree to the internal valve. Okay, so a great a, question. A, yes. a question leading on to that, and I know Paula Fries is actually going to be giving a whole talk on, on the deadly dead space. What do you do now if you have completely dissected free the lateral core and you've done some work on them and you've repocketed them? Do you put like a sandwich? of um, silicone on the inside and the outside of the nose and, and, and suture those together normally to try and decrease the dead space. How do you deal with that? Yeah, that, that's another question. Invariably, yes. Whenever I dissect the lining off the uh, underneath surface of the uh, laracura, I'm going to use a stent on our, our, outside, inside, I tailor it uh, from a product called Simple Splint, made by Supermid. And uh, I tailor it, place one outside, one inside, and suture it through and through. But I suture it lightly. Uh, and I, I may come to that, actually. I may show an example of it. Uh, and, and I suture it lightly so that I don't cause necrosis of the skin. I have created that. I have created that once on my first case. I just didn't know how, how tight to tighten up. So uh, you, you need to be careful about that and just tighten up for approximation, not necessarily uh, strangulating the circulation to that area. <coughs> so, um, <coughs> so that's one technique. But the other technique is... Uh, on patients who have cephalically oriented lower ladder cartilage, I'm going to treat the overprojected nose a little bit differently. And this time, uh, I'm going to actually uh, reposition the lower ladder cartilages. And I'm going to talk about that in another case uh, in a minute uh, when we talk about the noses were thick uh, thick as skin. I'm going to show you how I, essentially what I'm doing is uh, elevating the lower ladder cartilage, repositioning caudally, putting a, putting a collimular strut under it, and shortening it at the same time. So I'm rotating the lower ladder cartilage laterally. We'll talk about that, and I'm going to show you an example of that case in a minute. But uh, on patients who have Ideal tip position, uh, ideal um, um, uh, uh, length 
to the nose, but it is overprojected. My technique is going to be a little bit different. This time, I'm going to overlap the medial and lateral crura because all I need to do is set back the tip. Uh, and I can do that without changing the angle, without shortening or lengthening the nose. So that would be one uh, technique, as you see here on this particular nose. So uh, I've set the uh, tip back. She has a strong chin. I wasn't, I wasn't going to reduce more than what I have reduced, as you see on this, this nose. But on patients who have distorted tip, I'm going to use a different technique. This time, we're going to remove the existing domes. Usually, these are the domes that crumpled and crumpled, and uh, they are uh, unnatural. Uh, sometimes they are uh, too pinched. So what I'm going to do is just remove the existing domes and beyond what is ideal projection for the nose, proportional to the thickness of the graft that is going to be on top, on top like that, and I'm going to suture, suture the graft, graft to the lateral crura and medial crura. This way, my, uh, I've repositioned, essentially I've restored the, the, the uh, position of the lateral crura where they should be. And this graft, we may have talked about it last time, should be about 9 to 11 millimeters, depending on how thick the skin is. Uh, and I bevel the margins so they do not become visible. Okay, and so this way, we can create an optimal-looking uh, nose. And here's a 23-year a follow-up on this secondary rhinoplasty patient who had an over-projected nose, over-projected tip. And on the basilar view, we can see, again, the changes that uh, uh, we have been able to create for uh, this patient. Here's another patient, secondary rhinoplasty, a Pinocchio nose, and this is about six-year follow-up on this particular patient. And look how much projection we had. We have been able to reduce that, create, create. Obviously, I did some other things. I did laser resurfacing, a fat graft to fat injection to uh, the eyelids. She, she had really hollowed eyes and can see as a sort of a transformational uh, uh, change on this particular patient. So if I want to Any ask questions you a question, about yes. the overprotected nose. So the last graft, very interesting for me. So if you're removing the domes, you are not actually the um, lateral crow and the medial crow aren't touching each other. The graft, the new graft is almost like an anchor for the two of them. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, that, that's that. what I, what I, what I was hoping to emphasize that. I'm separating the lower lateral cartilage to set in the anatomical position. The lower lateral cartilages, they are not touching the transected or, or resected medial crura. They are your domes. So what I want to uh, create a, a emulation of existing domes uh, sort of McDonald's archers uh, by 
using the graft as an anchor so doesn't the ladder crew crews will not be shifting it. Okay, so noses with thicker skin. Again, this is another challenging topic, and unfortunately, we see many of these. Uh, obviously, the biggest challenge here is achieving definition. So, uh, I, we we have to create a firm bed for these patients, uh, but that's not the only thing that is going to help. There are steps in dealing with these patients. When I see a patient like this, uh, there's no way. In fact, you see this patient was crying in front of me uh, about two previous surgeries that she had, but no success. That's because this, the, this is a challenge and we need to deal with it in a step-by-step -step fashion. So we need to thin the skin. It's going to come from proper skincare products, retin-A, and use of Accutane. Uh, and this combination uh, is going to, I don't use all of them in on the same patient, but this is a last resort. And in many patients, if they're going to get this treatment preoperatively, they need to have it completed as, it, as they, if they're going to get full dose six months pre before the surgery. If we do it full treatment after the surgery, it may thin out the skin too much and our frame is going to become visible. And I usually, again, wait six months, three to six months after the initial treatment. Here's a patient who, as you can see, has uh, thicker skin, sebaceous activity, acnes. And here she is, after skin treat, uh, treatment and rhinoplasty, you may say, oh, wow, she has a lot of makeup on. Let's take the makeup off. And you can see still, it's not a perfect nose. But uh, the point about it is we have a definition to the nose that otherwise we could not have achieved. In fact, we have a super tip break on this very, very thick nose. And um, yeah, there's actually, again, imperfection, but the point is ability to reduce the pore, uh, size of the pores and the sebaceous uh, quality of the skin. That's step number one. Step number two, removal of some fat. I'm not talking about defatting the skin. So through an open incision, we're going to raise the healthy skin flap and leave this mass and uh, fibro fatty tissues attached to the underlying frame, then we're going to denude the, the frame, meaning expose the cartilages in the subpericondial plane. And they will look like something like this, uh, a sheath of uh, fibro fatty tissue and, uh, and uh, a cephalic portion of the low ladder cartilages. Now, again, I don't do this on every patient. There are certain patients that have a lot of redundant skin, like first picture that I showed you. Uh, and on this patient, and thus uh, on all of these patients, then as I mentioned initially, we're going to create a firm frame. Uh, and the firmer the frame is, 
the more likely chance that we're going to get to definition that we want. And perhaps one of the most important aspects of success on technosis is elimination of the dead space above the tip. Going back to, I think it was 1999, I wrote an article about the uh, super tip deformity the title is Superative Deformity, Another Look. I uh, discussed the importance of elimination of dead space since uh, at that time. Now, as you can see, it is, it is becoming more uh, appreciated. And the way it works, we put a suture to the uh, columella temporarily using dissolvable sutures that I always use. Then I'm going to identify where I want to see the supratip break, and I'm going to tattoo across. This is looking harsher than it is because it's a sped up uh, frame. And then we're going to open, and we will use the tattoo mark as a guide to approximate the, under, the deep subcutaneous tissues. And on patients who did not have removal of uh, any soft tissues, this is the patangae ligament that is being approximated to the underlying frame that is now being popularized. And this way, we're going to eliminate the, uh, the dead space. And here's the still picture. And this is the picture from the article that I wrote going back to, I think it was 1999. Uh, again, if you Google my name um, and uh, Supratip Deformity, another look will come up with this article. And you can see also I have tattoo mark on the lower lateral cartilage. Sometimes I use that on the really thick skin. I have to approximate the lower laterals to the underlying frame as well. This way, the dead space is uh, going to be eliminated completely. And uh, this four-year follow-up on this particular patient shows that actually we can get too much definition. In fact, in my view, this nose is, uh, it looks slightly overexposed, uh, over, uh, over-defined. Um, some people may like it. I like this one. This is, looks more like the way I would like to see. Again, superative break that we see and on a really difficult nose and even more difficult nose, you can see the width of the nose is, uh, tip is almost like uh, one third of the face and we're going to take care of that by using this uh, uh, open technique, removing the cephalic margin, removal of the hump, uh, spread the graphs, uh, columellostrot, tip rotation, uh, transdromal suture, interdomal suture, uh, a small lobule graft, uh, tip uh, excision of triangle piece to spread, rotate the uh, uh, tip cephalically. Uh, this resection was from caudal septum. And uh, I sometimes use uh, dice cartilage with a dorsal augmentation, dorsal contouring, and also a radix graft because his radix was 
uh, too deep, and we will appreciate that on the uh, profile. Uh, Supertip suture, LR rim graft, LR base reduction. As you see, LR, that's LR rim graft, LR base reduction, and tip rotation suture. Here is uh, this patient four years after the surgery, and you can see the definition that we have created for this patient. And yes, indeed, there's a little bit of supratip break and the basilar view. Uh, and uh, in some patients, we really need to excise the redundant skin on noses that have thicker skin over projection because this redundancy, if we don't excise it, it's going to come back and haunt us and cause more contraction and superative deformity, even if we you do all of the things that we talked about. And the courage for doing this comes from the forehead flaps. If we actually trim the forehead flap and set it in position, there's no reason why we cannot actually trim the excess portion of the skin uh, on a patient who has significant amount of redundant skin in the caudal nose to create, uh, this is actually a tertiary nose. She had three previous surgeries. And you can see that we have created a definition for you, for, the, for, for the, this nose. And this is the reason for uh, re removal of that redundant skin. Otherwise, where is the skin going to go to? What's going to be happening to it? But when we excise the uh, redundant skin and excise the soft triangle lining that I'm going to talk about in, uh, in a short while, we can actually uh, create nostrils like this uh, on a patient like this. And here's a nightmare nose. A red nose, thick skin, cephalically oriented lower ladder cartilages and over projection. This is the nose that uh, the patient that I told you I, I'm going to show you uh, the repositioning of the lower ladder cartilages. Look at these lower ladder cartilages. They are parallel rather than uh, having at least 30 degrees, mostly 45 degree angle. So what we're going to do is remove the cephalic margin of the low ladder cartilages. Yes, we're going to dissect the uh, lining of the, uh, of the cartilage. And to facilitate this, what I do is hydro, I do a hydro dissection, meaning inject a fair amount of local anesthetic in the lining. The minute you do that, it, it, this dissection, becomes very easy and we can complete it without making several perforations in the in the lining. So the, the, the low ladder cartilages have been completely mobilized. This is what uh, Cam was talking about earlier. We're going to use uh, Gontra's lateral cross rod under each one and suture them in place using uh, 5OPDS trim the excess, drape them over the uh, dorsum to make sure that we have matching length. And in fact, I'm going to, as you can see, they are not exactly the same size. I'm going to trim this side slightly to make sure that 
and creating equal length to the low ladder cartilages. Create a pocket uh, that is more cephalic, uh, more caudally than uh, the uh, uh, cartilage was. And I start this with a pair of other scissors, then continue with a pair of baby medicine balm, and then deliver the cartilages in position, as you see there. As we do this uh, and reposition the cartilages, we may see this kind of configuration. From my previous uh, discussion, uh, what we're going to be doing, we're going to use a subdomal graft under this these cartilages to line them up. And you can see the graft is prepared, being placed in position, and all of a sudden these cartilages are lined up perfectly. We're going to drape the skin back, excise the redundant skin again, and uh, uh, put stents on either side, uh, uh, and uh, supratip suture that uh, we discussed already uh, to, to get, give this patient a nose like this. Uh, we also did a genioplasty on this particular patient. And you can see the basal view very close to ideal. Look at the disparity in the volume between this tip and this tip. And ironically, you can see the color has changed. Yes, it is the same patient. Uh, this lifting up the skin and putting it back uh, somehow changes the physiology on this nose. Sure. So okay. the, the, what I'd like to do at this point, uh, stop because we are at 530 uh, and uh, uh, maybe we can talk about the deviated noses and other, in another uh, session, which is actually is a fascinating topic. And uh, I, I worked on it for decades and uh, to get to a point where I am. Yes. Let, Any questions? So, yeah, um, these last two things, especially the supra tip suture and removing the redundant skin. Um, I've got a case tomorrow. I'm going to send you photographs of doing that. Um, this is fantastic. Can I just add one thing before we go further? I tie that suture lightly also, and it is not a big bite. It is a small bite uh, on, the on the deep subcutaneous tissue. Uh, it, it, the goal is approximation. The reason that I'm saying that, I did, uh, I did cause a necrosis on uh, the supratip area one of my initial cases when I tied that suture too tight. So we need to be careful about how tight we tie that suture. Okay, sorry for the interruption. No, no, that's great. Okay, so we're going to come back uh, next time. We're going to talk about the deviated nose. I also want to chat to you a little about fillers in the nose because I had a case this week where I removed maybe one and a half cc's of filler on the supra tip area. Um, and yeah, it, it was... A, it was not the greatest result that I wanted. It was, a, I mean, I was happy with how it came out, but um, there was this more dead space than I was expecting. But let's chat about that next time. So thank you very much. It's been a fantastic hour to our listeners around the world. Uh, make sure that you come back for session three with uh, Dr. Balman Gairon. Um, we look forward to climbing into this really technical topic of the deviated nose and we all know how difficult it is to straighten a nose so thank you for listening uh, I and also we'll catch owe up you, with you a complete video as well so we'll talk about the video uh, we can we can do the uh, 
next one and if we need to add that we can do also a video at a later time or okay, we can do the video uh, so it doesn't matter to me fantastic well we will we'll put it together and we'll be launching it again on another episode of the rhinoplasty podcast so have a great evening thank you for listening all right great to see you again Thank <laughs> you.